You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Ah, welcome to the program. Made it to a Thursday. Hour one, Dan and the Danettes. Dan Patrick Show. Glad to have you on board. Glad to be part of your life in some way, shape, or form. You can watch the program if you like. YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. And, of course, our great radio affiliates around the country, numbering 362 in the formidable Fox Sports Radio lineup. The great Jerry West, birthday boy, 82 years of age. Still looks great. Lakers Hall of Famer join us coming up a little bit later on. Albert Breer from the Monday Morning Quarterback will join us. We'll talk about the NFL tabling, the Sky Judge. Man, I was excited just to hear Joe Buck say, let's go to the Sky Judge. Have a business card that says, I'm sorry, what do you do for a living? Sky Judge. Albert Beer will join us. I think what they're going to do is the replay official is going to have his job expanded a little bit, and he will be the quote-unquote sky judge. But we'll talk about that. Also, Jadavian Clowney is still out there. On the outside looking in, the Browns gave him a big offer. Titans are also in play, and uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So we'll talk to him about some of the uh, movers and shakers here with the NFL. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Baseball players... Say uh, no pay cuts. Max Scherzer came out and pretty demonstrative, demonstratively uh, said, nope, we're not going to do it here. Once again, it feels like the owners want to have this disruption with the players because you have the haves and the have-nots. And this is going to create an uncomfortable discourse for everybody in baseball. You know, the owners might just look at this and say, hey, we're not going to pay you all that money because we're not going to get our money back. Are we going to open the books here? This is about negotiations. And it seems fruitless to talk about it every single day, other than what I have said it feels like every day is everybody needs to shut up, keep things in-house, and try to figure it out. Because if you're going to do this, where you're going to ask the uh, paying audience, your fans, to say, hey, why don't you guys decide? They're probably not going to side with the players here. And that doesn't mean that the players are guilty. You know, I think that they're asking for something and they want to know exactly what are the owners making here? Why don't you open your books? Why don't you let us see what you have and then we'll understand what is at stake for you? We know what our salaries are. You print our salaries. They're public knowledge. But Max Scherzer is among eight players on baseball's executive subcommittee, which means he's probably a mouthpiece for Scott Boris, his agent, and which I understand Scott Boris is trying to get the most for his clients because his clients make the most money. But Scherzer said that after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no need to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of a prorated salary, no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon current information the union has received. All right, this doesn't matter to us on a day-to-day basis. Certainly doesn't matter to us right now. We don't care about this once the season starts. All you want to do is have baseball. Nobody's feeling bad for a billionaire, and you're probably not feeling bad for Max Scherzer or some of these other guys who make more than $20 million a year. But we can understand what they're giving up to come back, and the players are the ones taking the risk to come back, not these owners. So I, I see both sides, and, and I, I hate to go right down the middle on this, but I've been involved in these things covering negotiations before. I've covered lockouts. I've covered strikes. I know how this works. You put out information you want put out. 
and you want it disseminated and then you hopefully get public sentiment on your side. And that it feels like the owners, Major League Baseball, they've leaked every possible document possibly. That's every possible document possibly. And uh, now you have the players saying, well, wait a minute. Now we got to strike back here. And, you know, it's just uncomfortable. It's a bad look for baseball. You got the NBA trying to figure it out inside, in-house. NHL, inside, in-house. Major League Baseball, open the windows, open the doors. Everybody come on in. See what we got here. It's a bad look. And they got to get this under one roof here. Figure it out. What makes the most sense? Because we as fans don't want to hear anything about this. We don't. I couldn't care less. I want them to play baseball. Figure it out. If you don't make your money now, make it up later. If you're an owner, make it up later. If you're a player, make it up later. But we don't want to hear about it. Just play. Figure it out. Get back. There's other things to worry about. I did see this. Um, There is a 67-page draft of Major League Baseball's proposed 2020 operational manual. That was sent to teams on Friday. And, of course, it was leaked. The guidelines, first reported by The Athletic, were uh, subject to negotiations with the Players Association. So teams are going to have 50 players each under the plan, and the number of active for each game is still being negotiated. So you have a pool of 50 players. Spitting is prohibited, along with water jugs and the use of sauna, steam rooms, pools, cryotherapy chambers. Hitting indoor cages is discouraged. Batting gloves encouraged. Batting practice pitchers wear masks. Protocols including testing for team staff. Uh, Seating in uh, the empty stands near the dugouts would be used to maintain distance, according to diagrams in the manual. The next day's starting pitcher can't sit in the dugout. Everybody must keep their distance during the Star Spangled Banner and God Bless America. Fielders are encouraged to retreat several steps away from the base runner between pitches. First and third base coaches are not to approach base runners or umpires, and players should not socialize with opponents. I can't wait for that first argument at home plate where the manager is about six or seven feet away from the umpire. And And then the umpire is pointing back at him, and you're going, I don't know what they're saying. They certainly look mad at each other. Managers and coaches have to wear a mask while in the dugouts. Entire traveling party, including players, must wear personal protective equipment while on buses and flights. Restaurants off limits on the road, including ones in hotels, as are hotel fitness centers. Get ready for some baseball. I I have no idea what it's going to look like, but now I'm really interested to see. And then you got guys saying, hey, I'm going to spit. You can't stop me from spitting. Okay, there's far more important things to worry about than you not being able to spit. Well, who's the uh, Colorado Rocky? That Nolan Arenado? No, no, no. Oh, Charlie Blackman. Yeah, Charlie Blackman. He says he's going to spit. Hey, Charlie, shut up. Just go ahead and spit. You don't have to tell us you're going to spit. Just worry about the other things. You don't get to spit. Oh, my God. Hey, I'm spitting. Okay, designated spitter. Just just get baseball back. Spit on your uniform if you want. No, I mean, come on. Spit at home if you want to. We worry about the dumbest damn things here. 
just come back and play baseball. That's it. You don't have to tell me that you're, hey, I'm spitting. All right, you're probably adjusting your cup too. Good for you. What else are you doing? Come back and play baseball. That would be enough. McLevin, you got a poll question for me? Uh, yeah, we got a few options. By the way, baseball players are gross and have always been gross. That sport has more disgusting things going on. But uh, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> NBA question. There was a story yesterday that the NBA is going to work to let families come to Orlando for the bubble tournament or whatever it is. Yeah. If you're an NBA player, do you want your family there if for, say, a two-month <laughs> season? Well, you're going to get guys who have different reasons for that. But um, I was uh, going to go from the competitive uh, standpoint oh, okay. so you can focus on the game. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I, I just... There's just the more you add, the more chances. And then let's reduce the number of chances of something that could go wrong. You got one shot here. Let's just make it work. And not everybody's going to be there two months. Um, so if you have some of these marquee guys, if LeBron James wants to bring his immediate family there, he's probably going to be there for the long haul. Or if it's the Greek freak, and I think he's got a newborn baby. You want to do that? Now, I would not want a newborn baby in that environment there. But, you know, it's going to be up to the individuals. But no, I would not my, want my family there. Unless I thought I'm in there for the long haul of two months, that's one thing. But some of these guys are not going to be there more than a month. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, and if I'm LeBron's family, I don't know if I want to... The, the presidential suite at the resort in Orlando, I'm sure, is fantastic. It might be 2,000 square feet. But I've seen LeBron's house on, uh, on social media. It's like 18,000 square feet. Yeah. Yeah, Todd. But even if the family's safety was guaranteed, which there's no way of doing that, but just hypothetically, some of the players may not want their family there anyway. Yeah. You, you want to explain why? Explaining why? Because you, you just don't want to deal with the family for a couple of months. It's not so much a you know, distraction or anything. I don't think it would be 100% because of worrying about the safety of the family. Sometimes there's extracurricular reasons why you might want a two-month break from the family, and I'll just leave it there. Yeah. All right. Did okay. Your family might want you to go to Orlando and not <laughs> go, go with. Sure. Yeah, they they'd be like, can no, they make it four months, you, five months? You go by yourself, Todd. Just yes, go even if, even if you're not playing. Go. Yeah, McLovin. I've heard it described that the entire resort areas are all going to be open to them. It does sound kind of like heaven, you know, to bring your family down. I haven't been to Disney World with my kids, but I heard that it's pretty spectacular what they're being offered. Yeah, if if it's everybody is there and nobody, you know, there's nobody from outside parties involved in it. But I just want to read if I'm the NBA, I want to reduce the number of people that I need. That's that's it. You want to get the season done with that. That's the most important part. Players get paid. Owners make money and you get a championship here. You don't need to appease everybody in this situation. And if you can ensure safety, great. I don't know if we can. But if we can, great. You can have everybody down there, but all it takes, you got one moment here, one team, one player, one star, and then it crumbles. Yeah, Paul. Let's scale it down. You bring seven players and one coach. Let's just have the bench <laughs> nice and clean, space everybody out. You get two subs. Bring a guard, bring a, bring a big, and let's go. This program brought to you by Traeger. Summer's here, which means it's the perfect time to take your grilling from league average to Hall of Fame worthy with the help of the Traeger Grill. Taste the wood fire difference by contacting your local dealer. Visiting TraegerGirls.com slash DP show today. What other poll questions do you have, McLeod? Uh, do you want to get into uh, the Baker Mayfield topic yet or save that one? I'm going to save that. Yeah. 
a lot of contract talk with Baker Mayfield. Okay, I have a question for you. If the Spurs, if they expand the playoff field to 12 teams in each conference, or sorry, they go, say, 24 deep like the NHL, do those 24 teams count as playoff teams? Well, what they're going to do, this is the proposal, 20 teams, eight in the East, 12 from the West, because the 12 has some competitive uh, slots there where somebody might be able, Portland, uh, New Orleans might be able to get into the eighth spot. So they want to be fair to them and the San Antonio Spurs. So it would be a play-in to get into the field of 16? Is that how it works? I believe so, but there's going to be 20, but it's not balanced from, it's not 10 and 10 from the East and West. It would be eight because I think those spots are all secure in the East, whereas the West, there's still some opportunity there to move up and get into the postseason. So I guess, you know, people are like, oh, would this Playoff streak for the San Antonio Spurs continue. Don't we have other things to worry about? Then uh, that doesn't count. So we're going to put an asterisk by the San Antonio Spurs playoff streak. Is that what we're saying, McLovin? Of yeah, all so, the things to worry about, we're going to hey, they we didn't put an asterisk by winning a title in 1999 in a strike-shortened season, but we're going to put an asterisk by their playoff run. Well, it'd be amazing if they had their playoff <laughs> streak broken and won the NBA title. Yeah. Uh, they won the title, but they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, I think this would be asterisk-worthy because in the, in the normal format, they would have not made the playoffs. If the season ended, they're pretty far out of it. You know, They're like six games out. I don't care if is this, we have an asterisk or not. Is this expanded playoffs just to get three more games of Zion Williamson on national TV? Because that's what it feels like. Can we get three more games out of Zion on national TV? Well, they want more than three, but who knows? You, you, you would like to have him in the mix. You certainly would. Yes, McLeod. I can't remember. Why are the Blazers not good this year? They were really good last year. I can't remember what the heck happened to them. I don't think that they were healthy. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I don't remember who was injured, who was hot. I don't remember anything. We were we used to talk about NBA all the time, and these these teams are just going to pick up and be the same teams. Well, you kind of forget who was good and and was somebody really good right before this happened. You know, Utah uh, Bogdanovich is out with a he had a wrist surgery. He's had an unbelievable year. He's already out for the year. He's not even coming back for the playoffs. So. Utah, which I loved as a dark coach to start the year, and then all of a sudden it's like, and then I got the Rudy Gobert situation here. Do his teammates like him? You know, how's that going to be when they all come back together? Who's going to want to hang out with Rudy Gobert when we all come back? Yes, McLovin. And you're pretty sure Durant won't come back. Is there anything, uh, any updates? I, and Clay Thompson, too. I can't imagine it. You know, Clay Thompson, I can't imagine him coming back. Durant, I guess there's the possibility, but if you can't guarantee that Kyrie's coming back, then I don't want Kevin Durant coming back. If we're making a run in the East, if I have Durant and Kyrie and they're healthy, okay. I at least understand it, but I, I just wouldn't want to push. He He's had ample time, if you think about this, how many months that he's been out. What's it been, 12 months? Maybe longer than that? Um or has it been quite 12 months? I'm trying to remember when uh, Durant got, got hurt. So it was last June when he blew it out. They say 9 to 12, I believe, for an Achilles. But I just, I got to look at this big picture here if I'm the Nets. And I, I just don't want to bring Durant back. I know they can tell me, hey, doctor's cleared 100%. You're pushing him back. Yeah, see. Not to get too far down the line, but. I wonder if players are wondering about next season 
And there's there's no real guarantees for how that's going to play out either. We could be in a very similar situation next year at this time. So they, as a player, might be, you know, they might want to get in some games and get in some time and, yeah. and play and compete. And, you know, if the they have a chance for a ring, actually be a part, you know, a participant in that, rather than all of a sudden two seasons are gone and they're still waiting. Well, I think that you're going to look at delayed start and maybe it's backed up to Christmas with the NBA. But it also... Now, it hasn't come out publicly, but I'm waiting to hear the players and the owners talk about, well, if we don't start until December, what does that mean for salaries here? Just throwing it out there because people say it's not about money and it's always about money. We'll take a break. We'll talk to uh, Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback. I was hoping for my sky judge. We're not getting a sky judge, but it feels like Maybe we're just saying to the replay official, hey, we're going to give you more responsibility. Is that basically calling him the adjunct sky judge? And Jerry West, the Laker Hall of Famer, a little bit later on as well. 18 after the hour, just getting started on this Thursday. Dan and the Dan S. Dan Patrick Show. You check things all the time. Your email, Instagram. What about checking something important as your credit? Discover makes it quick and easy. Best of all, it's free. Discover is now offering FICO credit scores, the score used by 90% of top lenders and doing so for free. Even if you're not a customer, checking your score won't hurt your credit and you can check each month for changes. The Discover credit scorecard is what it's called. It's free for everyone. You can learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. That's discover.com slash credit scorecard and limitations apply. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Play of the day coming up. Stat of the day. We'll settle on a poll question as well. Phone calls are welcome. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com twitter handle dp show and a shout out to uh chad Rowe. we bring in albert breer senior nfl reporter the monday morning quarterback who joins us and by the looks of your room there you love yourself some ohio state buckeyes there it's just yeah. by accident that paulie wore his michigan t-shirt today i saw albert. that yeah i saw that I, are you a Michigan guy, Polly? I couldn't have gotten into Michigan if you doubled my GPA. No, I went to Southern <laughs> well, Illinois. <laughs> I got an even better story. I come from a, a long line of Michigan people, and I couldn't go, get in, so I went to the rival. Yeah, that. Uh, but but uh, where did you grow up? Are you from Michigan? No, I'm from Massachusetts. My dad's from Detroit, though, and so my dad's side of the family is almost entirely from Michigan. Everybody went to Michigan or Michigan State, and uh, – yeah, I was the black sheep. I went to the other Big Ten school. Yeah, but people call this a rivalry, and I'm from Ohio, and I say it's not a rivalry because Michigan's not on the same level as Ohio State. We, you know, what do you think of that? It's not. I mean, it's, to me, over the last 17, 18 years, I mean, it's like when I was in school there, Dan, um, it was the tail end of, of the Lloyd Carr, John Cooper thing, and um, it's amazing what's happened. Um, and I think it I, honestly, I think because it matters more to people in Ohio, that's why things have gone the way they've gone. But I mean, yeah, I mean, from what Trestle has done, the fact that they've been more dominant since after Trestle left is unbelievable. Yeah, but why does it matter more to Ohio State fans than it does Michigan fans? I don't know. You're probably as good to answer that as I am, right? Because you're from there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just more 
I, I just think it's more ingrained in the culture in Ohio. And I, I think the other thing is, I mean, when I went to school at Ohio State, I don't know if it's still the same way there, but I, I think 95% of the people that I went to school with were from Ohio. Yeah. And Michigan, a lot of the people didn't grow up with it. I mean, a lot of the people that um, that go to Michigan are, are from New York or from California. And so I think it's a little less ingrained in the people who went to Michigan than it is the people who went to Ohio State. Yeah, but I think when you're with a win- – everybody loves a winner, therefore it's more important to Ohio fans because they're on the winning side of this, whereas Michigan fans, not as excited, you know, sort of downplaying this. And uh, maybe maybe that's why it means more. I don't know. I don't know, though, because, uh, Dan, they ran off John Cooper because he couldn't beat Michigan. Like, John Cooper was fine otherwise – and they ran him off simply because he couldn't beat Michigan. So, but everything's I mean, good now, I Albert. Any, I don't think anybody in Ohio is downplaying the rivalry when when it wasn't going well for them. Well, the fact that it is going well, that you know, that they, they don't, they're not, every, you know, they're fine with their coach because whoever their coach is, because they know that Michigan's coach is Jim Harbaugh, and they always feel like they have the upper hand there. Do you Which see a game. scenario where Harbaugh eventually leaves Michigan for another coaching job? I mean, I think he certainly wants to take another crack at the NFL. I do think that he has some unfinished business there. I, I honestly think it sort of bothered him, um, you know, the way that you know, he uh, – like his brother finally – his front brother got to the mountaintop against him. And, um, you know, I've always felt like there was that, that little piece of unfinished business. So I don't know how long he's going to stay at Michigan. I know a lot of people felt like, you know, he'd probably be at Michigan for four or five years, then go back um, because he's been sort of a short-termer the other places he's been. Um, so he's already sort of lasted longer than some people thought he'd last at Michigan. I think he'll eventually be back in the NFL. I'm just not sure when. Do you think Ohio State fans want Jim Harbaugh to stay as head coach at Michigan? I mean, right now I'd say yes. I mean, Ryan Day's <laughs> out recruiting him. He's out coaching him. He's beating him on the field. I like, like the fact that not just Urban Meyer beat Jim Harbaugh this way, the fact that Ryan Day is beating him this way too and has all the momentum – um, I, I, I know this, there's just seems to be a lot of unlocked potential left in that Michigan program. And it's super interesting to me, the idea that like, you know, that, 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 that another coach could come in here and, and after the urban Harbaugh thing, take Ohio state to another level. And now Jim Harbaugh has got to catch up to him. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. All right. Albert Brewer joining us, senior NFL reporter, MMQB. Now let's talk about your day job here. I was all excited about sky judge. I really yeah. was. And now it's being tabled. Why is it being tabled? And is the replay official getting some more responsibilities? Well, it's not really being, I mean, it's being tabled, but it's being tabled in the way that it was written um, by the coach's subcommittee. Um, And and in particular, the the Ravens coach, John Harbaugh, and the Chargers coach, Anthony Lynn. And and the the difference between what they wanted to do and and what's going to be going in in an experimental basis is really about who the sky judge himself is. And the coaches really wanted it to be a more experienced guy. So either a a retired head referee or a more experienced member of the crew with younger guys becoming the eighth member of the crew. They really wanted an experienced hand up. There's somebody that everybody could trust um, being in charge of monitoring the broadcast and being in charge of having that view up top. Um, You know, and, 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 and really the league wasn't ready to take that step. And so, Walt Anderson, who's become very involved over the last uh, four or five months, he, he was an on-field official until the end of the season. He's moved into a senior role in the NFL office now. Um, you know, he sort of suggested, hey, listen, the replay officials we have are good. We'll change out a few of them, and we'll get some good guys in here, 
and then let's give this a shot in the preseason. And if it works in the preseason, let's try it in the regular season. And if it works in the regular season, we can expand on it in 2021. And so there's been a two-year process for guys like John Harbaugh and Andy Reid and Anthony Lynn. And all these guys really just want to give the officials a resource. And the idea was to give them a high-end resource by giving them an experienced official up top. This is sort of the compromise where the replay official, the existing replay official, will have expanded duties. I don't know if you saw the comments Dean Blandino made on uh, the show a couple of days ago where he said when he was in charge of the officials, there was a break glass in case of emergency where New York would contact the official on the field and say, guys, huddle up. Because mm-hmm. as Dean said, you know, we were worried about something extreme, historically bad or controversial here. We contacted the NFL. The NFL said we have no comment. And then I talked to a source who said that's the way Dean did things, not the way we do things now. What do you make of that? Well, Dean was very close with a lot of the coaches and he had that trust with the coaches, Dan. And, and that's one thing that came up. I think that's been lost the last couple of years was a lot of the respect between the coaches and the league office was built by Dean Blandino. And so when Dean went into TV, I do think a little bit of that was lost, which is where some of the issues have come in the last couple of years. I can also say this, like the sky judge with certain crews has actually already existed. And so I'll give you a great example. Everybody remembers the Earl Thomas hit on Mason Rudolph last year, right? Yeah. So if you guys go back and watch that broadcast, go pull it up on Game Pass or whatever. Watch when they cut to commercial after Mason Rudolph goes down. There's no flag on the field. When they come back from commercial, there is a flag on the field. It took about 35 to 40 seconds for the flag to go on the field. Well, what happened there? Well, John Harbaugh went over to the head referee says, well, wait a second, where'd that flag come from? And the head (laughs) official said to him, the guy up in the booth told me to drop it because the, the hit was egregious. And Harbaugh said to the head official, oh, you mean like a sky judge? So they've actually been sort of using some of these things in spots over the last couple of years. I, I think the way that the, what the coaches really wanted was to formalize that, make sure everybody had the benefit of it. And again, this isn't coaches versus officials. The main thing for these coaches was giving the officials the benefit that every single one of us sitting at home with a cable subscription has, which is eight, 10, 12 different angles of crystal clear HD to see everything from. I think these coaches really thought it was crazy that the guys in the field weren't getting the, the, the benefit that tens of millions of people have, have, have sitting on their couches every day. Yeah, the people who are in charge to make these calls have the worst view. We have the best view. So right. why not take advantage of that to help them? I, I still don't understand the Saints-Rams call, non-call. The fact right. that there were two fouls, including helmet to helmet, were not called. That's where I thought, and, and Dean Blandino was not in the home office in New York to be able to, hey, guys, huddle up. Because I think they did huddle up, and they still missed it. So how do you prevent that when we get to the postseason when you have all-star crews? Well, and, and I think, and, and one thing that actually was brought up to me, I didn't know this, Dan, I, maybe you're aware of this because you've been on the Super Bowl broadcast. Uh, did you know that there are extra officials on the sideline during the Super Bowl that have headsets on and they're communicating with the head referees? No. Like, I didn't even know that. Like, and I, over the last couple of days of making phone calls on this, I sort of learned that. And, and really, it's like you said, Dan, they're trying to give more resources to these guys. And so, you know, the idea is the head referee is still in charge of the game. Um, but there's a guy up top, and that guy has access to the broadcast. That guy's also watching from the booth, so he has that vantage point. And so he's going to be able to communicate with the head referee. The head referee doesn't have to do anything. Like, this guy doesn't have the, 
The guy up top doesn't have the authority to stop the game. He can't throw a flag. He can't do any of that. But within the first 15 seconds of the play clock, he can buzz down. Now I'll ask you, like in that Saints-Rams game, it didn't take 15 seconds for all of us to know it was the wrong call, right? Yeah. So in that case, in that case, the guy up top would have called down to the head referee, would have said, drop the flag. The ref would have dropped the flag because he trusts the guy up top, and we would have had a penalty. The Saints would have had a first down, and they'd be going to the Super Bowl. And so it's just it's giving them that resource where it's not about getting every every single judgment call right. It's about getting the black and white white ones that we know are wrong corrected. And, you know, I think that this is an efficient way to do it. It may take a year or two for them to work out the kinks and get the right people up top, but it's really, really important to these coaches that they at least start that process in 2020. The onside kick, where do we stand with that? So they, there have been some unintended consequences that have come up here. And I think what's interesting about it, what's most interesting about it to me, Dan, is that this is a rule that they haven't even put in yet, and they're already having to fix it. So <laughs> that makes me a little skeptical about where we're going, right? I mean, like you look at it, like they, like they, they. So we, we could, we, we didn't have, we didn't have to have a, have this whole rule for a day before everybody could realize that there were issues with it. So when they tied up, um, you know, there was the thought, okay, like if you have, say, you took take the lead, say I score a touchdown, I go up by four points, whatever, I'm kicking off and there are six seconds left in the game. Well, if I'm that team, rather than kicking it to the other team, wouldn't I just snap the ball in, into, into fourth and 15, tell my quarterback to run around for three seconds and throw it to the moon? Like it would make sense to do that, yeah, right? Yeah. And so they've taken care of that by making it an untimed down. But I, I think the fact that we're already troubleshooting the thing before it even goes in at least makes me skeptical about how this thing's going to work. Listen, I understand it's a safe and safe and a health and safety measure that they, they feel like they've got to take kickoff and the onside kicks out of the game. And that's all fine. I understand that part of it. And I understand that it's a fun thing for everybody to talk about, but it does make me a little bit kind of, I, I guess just skeptical over the whole thing that they're already having to troubleshoot it before it even goes in. In three years, do we have kickoffs in the NFL? I think we do, but I think they're going to look different. And I honestly, like I, if I were the league, I would have taken the XFL idea and I would have just implemented it in the preseason and see how it works. Um, I mean, look, like I, I can tell you, most coaches I've talked to are really protective of that phase of the game that really believe that it should remain in the game, um, that it's a part of the game and that you'd be bastardizing the game by taking it out of it. And so I know a lot of the special teams coaches have done a lot of hard work to try to preserve the kickoff as best they can. It's hard to do it. Um, but, you know, I think the XFL found an effective way to sort of attack this. And I mean, to me, it was inventive. It was fun. It didn't totally take the idea of the kickoff away. You still have kickoff return touchdowns. So I know that that's one they've discussed. I'm surprised they didn't at least maybe look at the idea of implementing it for the preseason. I'd expect it'll get more discussion in 2021. I don't understand that you want to take away the, the onside kick because you, you don't want another collision or collisions, but then you're going to have the marquee players who are going to come back out on the field for a fourth and 15 I would rather have the onside kickoff team than backup linebackers than I would. I got Patrick Mahomes back there for a fourth and 15 with the marquee players on the wide, you know, on the offense. And then the defense, you know, it's a pass. I I don't know. You're asking for contact there as well. I mean, is it a pass interference down too? that's the other thing, right, Dan? I mean, fourth and 15, or do you have a better shot of converting that by just throwing it up to Julio Jones and hoping somebody yanks on his jersey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There are certain things like that that could come into play too. 
I actually talked to one coach, and this may be a little conspiracy theory-ish, <laughs> but there are some coaches that feel like the NFL has you know, actively looked to try to take the middle class out of the league. And who's the middle class? Well, the middle class is guys like Matt Slater on the Patriots who are making three, $4 million a year and who are playing what, like probably six or eight plays a game. And so, you know, there are, there are, I think there, there is a feeling that there maybe are some, there are some ulterior motives here on the part of the owners. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but, but certainly I think that there are coaches that really feel like the kickoff is, yeah, they've done a lot of work to try to keep the kickoff as is, and they really should try not to bastardize it too much. I'll leave you with this. Jadavion Clowney still on the outside looking in with maybe Tennessee, maybe back to Seattle. The Cleveland Browns offered a great deal, which I was surprised. You have Miles Garrett. You're going to have to pay him. But uh, where does Jadavion Clowney fit with uh, either of these three teams? Yeah, I always thought that his best option was to go back to Seattle just because I thought that was the best chance for him to have a a great year. Um, You know, he's one of these guys that's sort of caught up in the fact that he can't take a physical. Um, There is some instability in his knee. I know teams that were interested really wanted to have their own doctors get their hands on him. Obviously, that's not possible given the circumstances. You know, and then there are questions about his personality. He really wore out his welcome in Houston. That's another reason why Hmm. if a team is going to sign him to a big deal, they'd want him to come in and – talk to them. And so those have been issues. I think his financial expectations were certainly an issue. He saw guys like Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence got, and, you know, he just shot too high early on. So I think his best bet right now is to find a place where he can go on a one-year deal and go to a place where, you know, the scheme's familiar. Cleveland scheme, they run a Seattle type of scheme. Scheme would be familiar there. Seattle, of course, if they'd have him back, if he could work a way to do a one-year deal there, even if it was for less money, I think it'd be smart because he always have a big year there. And then, of course, the other one to keep an eye on is the Tennessee Titans because of his relationship with Mike Vrabel. Yeah, this is Cleveland's got thirty-seven million dollars to spend here, right? Is that yeah. why? Are, why didn't they spend it earlier in free well, agency? I mean, remember who's running the team there too, Dan. I mean, I like like come hell or high water, they're going all in on the analytics model. You can see it in the people that they've hired. You can see it in the kind of the way they've set that organization up. Paul DePodesta has a lot of power in that organization. And the way analytics work in every sport, right, you put values on people and you don't really stray from that too much. And so even if you have money to spend, if the value is not there, you're not going to spend the money. And so, you know, I think the Browns will eventually wind up spending, but you look at the positions they spend on, I mean, they go and get a tackle, tackle's a premium position. So they spent on on a Jack Conklin. Um, You know, I think really a lot of this boils down to, you know, how their models are working and where they're being kind of guided to spend. Um, you know, again, like if you're, if you're working on uh, in, in that sort of setup, generally you're going to let value drive you. And if you don't think the value is there, even if you do have the money to spend, you're not going to overspend. Speaking of which, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, yeah. everybody seems to be, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for Dak Prescott to, uh, what, are, what are the options here? July 15th, I mean, to me, July 15th is, uh, you know, really the date that I think we've all had our eye on the whole time and deadlines spur action. And if you want to look at the Cowboys history, they've generally taken care of all of these guys. Um, you know, Zach Martin, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Zeke Elliott, Amari Cooper, they take care of their own guys. There are very few guys that they I have not that they've wanted to keep that they have not been able to lock up long term. The key here, though, Dan, is going to be the length of the deal. Just by sitting on his hands, okay, just by doing nothing, <laughs> Dak Prescott either gets thirty-one million dollars this year 
and becomes a free agent at 27, 70 million over the next two, free agent at 28, or 120 million over the next three, and a free agent at 29. And so <laughs> he doesn't do anything, have to do anything to exercise one of those three options. And so the Cowboys have to convince him they're putting something in, in front of him that's good enough to walk away from those three options. They haven't done that yet. And I still think the key to this deal is going to be how long it is. Dak Prescott would like a shorter deal that'll allow him to go back to the table in three or four years and capitalize on all the new TV money, the gambling money coming into the league. The Cowboys would like to sign him to a longer deal, a five or a six year deal like they did with Smith, with Elliott, with Lawrence. Yeah, but it's amazing that Dak Prescott is making more money by not doing anything, by just just sitting like his value keeps going up because you know, Deshaun Watson's what he's going to get paid. Well, they're waiting for all of this. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, that's the, that, that's where you're playing with fire for the Cowboys. Right, Dan. I mean, yes. the big one sitting out there is Patrick Mahomes. You know, if you, I, I like, like you could sit here and say, well, God, you know, 40 million a year seems like a lot for Dak Prescott. And then Pat Mahomes goes and signs a deal at 41 or 42. Like then what? You know what? Like then, then that's just where the market is. And so, you know, I know a lot of people have said it's you know it's tough for it's tough to swallow the idea of of Dak Prescott at forty million dollars a year. Well, I mean, we can go down the list of guys who were the highest paid players in the league over the last four or five years. Was Derek Carr the best player in the league? Was Jimmy Garoppolo the best player in the league? Was was Matt Ryan the best player in the league? Was Kirk Cousins the best player in the league? At one point or another, all of those guys were the highest paid player in football. It's just the way you pay quarterbacks. And so he's the next one at the table. So he's going to be the highest paid guy. And again, I think it would behoove the Cowboys to try and take care of this as soon as they can so they don't wind up having to pay a tax because they waited until after Patrick Mahomes' deal is done. Thank you for spending time, Albert. Great stuff. You got it, Dan. Thank you. All right. Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter for the uh, Monday Morning Quarterback. Take a break. Play of the day in the on-deck circle after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Had somebody who sent me an email about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. His name is uh, Jared Caro. Uh, Love the show. As someone who lived in Michigan from birth, Albert Breer is right on the rivalry with Ohio State. Ohio State doesn't mean as much to Michigan as it does to Ohio State. When I lived in Michigan, our main rivalry was Notre Dame. We got up more for that game than we did Ohio State. If you look at it, Michigan has three rivalries, big rivalries, Michigan State, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, whereas Ohio State only has Michigan. Ohio State's tried to bring USC and others in for that rivalry, but it's uh, never the same. It's newer and not much of a rivalry, so Ohio State really has only one game to get up for, while Michigan has three. Do they get up for those three, though? They're supposed to. I like the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry. But having been, I've only watched the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry from Ohio State, uh, being in Columbus. I haven't seen it in Michigan. Uh, Michigan-Notre Dame, I think the Danettes a couple of years ago went to that. And that was a pretty exciting moment, I think, with uh, that game in, uh, in Ann Arbor. Yeah, Paul. I've been to a Michigan home game against Ohio State. I've been to an Ohio State home game against Michigan. And the Michigan seemed like a good time, a party. And, you know, it's a big game, obviously, the 105,000. When we, you took me to see Ohio State, Michigan in Columbus, and the entire tone of the town, we were there for two nights, felt like 
there was business going on that weekend. It was very serious. They didn't seem to be having a good time. It was like, we're here to beat Michigan today, and then after the game, we'll celebrate. It had a very serious tone. But Ohio State fans understand that every game that they play is big because there's a national title at stake. Ohio State is, you know, against Michigan is big because if that's your rivalry, you want to make sure you don't lose to them because any loss is going to hurt you playing for a national title. Michigan, Michigan, if they lose to Ohio State, they're not playing for a national title. That might mean they're playing in the Outback Bowl instead of the Rose Bowl. But, you know, Michigan is not on par with Wisconsin right now. Michigan State has taken a step back here. But, you know, I don't think Ohio State looks at Michigan as a true rivalry the way it used to be. Now, when I was growing up, Michigan beat Ohio State. And that, you know, when they had quarterbacks that I didn't think were great, but they ended up beating Ohio State back then. It was Bo Schembechler, and uh, he got the best of, of uh, Woody Hayes. But it's changed considerably. Because Urban Meyer brought the SEC to Columbus. He brought athletes to Columbus. It wasn't this physical, we're going to dominate you. Urban Meyer brought that Florida feel to Ohio State. And you had true, it, it feels like there's a big difference and you watch the athletes for Ohio State and Michigan. Like the recruiting, big difference there. And you see that when you're on the field. McLovin, what's the poll question you're going with? Okay, well, actually, I put up for the first hour, if you're an NBA player, do you want your family there? Yeah. 60% said no. <laughs> uh, we have a couple more options. For a variety of reasons. Yeah, well, we were focusing on competitiveness. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and a few months into quarantine. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this side of the glass was uh, voting. No, I, <laughs> hey, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we have a couple of more interesting options. I can give them to you. We have a Baker Mayfield and a, a, a scandalous athlete poll. We'll hear from Baker Mayfield coming up next hour. Also, former Mets general manager Steve Phillips. He works for uh, MLB Network on uh, Sirius XM. Get his thoughts on the players and the owners and how do we settle this. And Jerry West in the final hour. One hour in the books. Two more to go here on the Dan Patrick Show. 